Put down the phone and lift up your eyes Open your heart, let conversations arise Show them that you care, keep screen time in check Every moment matters, live your life with tidy tech Welcome to Tidy Tech Podcast where we explore how schools and families are finding balance with real time and digital time through conversations with leaders developing better models of appropriate and healthy digital consumption. Melissa here from TechWise SB in Santa Barbara. Gretchen here from Digitally Wise in Kansas City. Let's get started. We are here today with Jean Rogers and Lauren Pear from Screen Time Action Network. Jean Rogers serves as the director of the Screen Time Action Network. Lauren Pear serves as work group coordinator. The organization uses screen time research to help parents and professionals reduce children's screen time and promote creative play. They will tell us more about the network and how it is just a smaller part of a nonprofit known as Fair Play. Welcome, Jean. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you both for being here today at the Tidy Tech Podcast. We are so excited to be able to share with our listeners how you've built a coalition of practitioners and educators, advocates and parents working together to promote a healthy childhood by reducing the amount of time kids spend with digital devices. Hi, Gretchen and Melissa. It's really great to be with you today. Thank you for inviting us on and really excited to get into this this topic with you two today. To start with, Jean, will you tell us a little about the mission of the Screen Time Action Network, how it came about, also maybe more about the larger scope of Fair Play and how Fair Play came about? Absolutely. So in 2017, I was approached by our executive director of Fair Play, Josh Golan. I was working for what we were then called Campaign for a Commercial Free Childhood, working as a parent educator and creating resources and programming for parents. And he came to me and said, I have this hypothesis that there are professionals who are working on this issue feeling isolated and that we need to create a community for them, a place where they can collaborate, a place where they can come together with their frustrations, their best practices, and, um, and uh, create that networking opportunity to amplify their work as well. So in, on November 1st, 2017, we launched this Children's Screen Time Action Network, we called it then. We were pretty focused on infancy to about age 10 at that point. And then more recently, we've begun working with teens and young adults. We dropped the word children's, but not the focus on children. But we are nurturing another generation of digital wellness leaders and our young people. So we wanted a name that was inclusive. We also wanted people to understand that we're a part of Fair Play. So Fair Play is um, a watchdog, the leading watchdog for children's safety in online spaces, um, has been an advocate for children's safety with digital devices for a long time since that work was going after corporations that were doing harmful things, either in products or online to kids, and, um, and now is very involved in legislative efforts. So, um, and I'll just complete that thought by saying that when I did my research to create the network, I found indeed that hypothesis was true, that I heard from people saying, I'm a librarian and I'm the only one in my school saying this, or I work in a hospital and I see kids plugged in all the time, different venues, um, but we also welcomed parents in at the same time as our professionals, and it's turned out to be a great opportunity for parents to have access to the experts and experts to have access to what's happening on the ground with families. Indeed, it sure is. He, he had the right instincts. <laughs> Tell us about yourselves. What led each of you to getting involved in this endeavor? So what really drew me in was I was working with college students um, on career guidance, and it was really my interaction with those college students. I had only graduated myself about less than 10 years prior, and there was such a 
they seemed more anxious. Um, some of my work was having to help them identify what they wanted and were after. And this word grounded came up repeatedly. And I remember thinking, I don't think my friends would have said that when we were in college. And in talking to them more and observing them I, I and, and hearing directly from them, because many of them are actually aware of it, uh, I began to see how smartphones, the constant connection, the FOMO that comes with that was changing them and was resulting in, uh, again, increased anxiety and stress, also more difficulty juggling their work mm -hmm. and really getting to know who they were. I, I was working with college students about finding careers that were the right fit for them. And you need to know yourself to know those answers. And it felt like that time for introspection and reflection were being robbed uh, by these devices and social media platforms. And so that really became my start. And But I realized at this point they were already away from parents and the relationship was very deep. So I went back to, well, when do kids first get smartphones? And that took me to, at the time, around middle school. Now, unfortunately, it's even earlier. But even then, I found they already had these deep relationships with devices because many had iPads from when they were six or seven. And so that sort of took me on my journey from seeing its impact on college students to going down that timeline to where these relationships um, started. Jean, how about you? What led you to getting involved? My early career was in advertising, actually, as a copywriter. So I say I came from the dark side. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I did other kinds of writing, speech writing and journalism as well. But my bread and butter work was in advertising. And when I had my own children, the first three, I had my daughter who um, was the oldest and then twin boys. I started seeing how even just television, and then it was the little Nintendo handhelds were shaping mm -hmm. them as individuals. And I didn't like what I saw as far as the examples for behavior and character mm -hmm. development and spiritual development in the content of what they were seeing and incorporating. Um, it just, their language, their behavior would be influenced by it. So I made the decision as a lot of parents do to do something more meaningful with my talents and i wrote a book called kids under fire which is a parenting book on how to empower kids to make healthy choices with their media at that time we were calling it media now we really call it screen time because it's so many different screens um and that's a little bit complicated but i um then I realized I wanted more education to be able to understand the science behind the child development and how their brains were being infect affected by what they were engaging in with digital devices. So I got a master's in education and a certificate in parenting education. And I was giving workshops and I found what parents wanted most was community. What they needed was other parents who were raising their kids in the same way. They were saying, it's fine for yes. us to make this decision, but our kids need peers being raised this way. We need peers being raised this way because it was just too hard to buck the system and be swimming upstream with it. Um, and then I came to work shortly after for Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood. I'm really honored to be able to serve this community in this way. I meet so many interesting people every day in my work. I completely identify with mm -hmm. what you're saying about seeking out other like-minded parents. And you were mentioning your book that you wrote, which leads me to another question. Um, is there a person or book or article that initially really influenced you to dive deeper into this? Oh, thank you for that question. I love that question. Um, for me, it was Diane Levin, I don't know if those of you know Diane, mm -hmm. she wrote a book called Remote Controlled Childhood. And then mm -hmm. as I was in my graduate studies, she wrote Beyond Remote Controlled Childhood. It changed my entire view of how kids 
see the media industry and what it does to shape them, as I was saying earlier with my own children, but how kids' inner knowing and curiosity were being hijacked by marketers. I really didn't understand that. And then the second one would be Susan Lynn's Consuming Kids. Susan Lynn is the founder of our organization. Mm -hmm. And to be able to understand the marketing industry targeting children really also was a big eye-opener for me. What about you, Lauren? I, I think that a seed was planted. I read a fantastic book by Nicholas Carr years before I became consciously interested in this in this work, which is The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing mm -hmm. to Our Brains. Mm -hmm. um, fantastic book. So I think that really seeded my thinking for it. And then when I was working with college students, I what first got me into it was just a bunch of internet research, honestly, and this was maybe 2015 when we really weren't having these conversations very much. And it started to make me think that I'd like created an echo chamber for myself and I was making it up as like, if it's this big a deal and affecting children in so many ways, how can we not be talking about it more? And I remember reading this article by Nick Bilton, I believe, who described how Steve Jobs and Bill Gates strictly limited tech for their mm -hmm. children. And I remember for me, that was a big aha moment in I'm not making this up. This is very real mm -hmm. and we need to raise awareness and, and, and talk about this more and help parents navigate this. So since then, um, I've read a ton of books I love. I would Victoria Dunkley's uh, Reset Your Child's Brain is one of them. I love her concept of electronic screen syndrome. Mm -hmm. It helps mm -hmm. capture all of the effects in one succinct term. Um, the Other Parents by Jim Steyer, and I, I could go on, but there is, mm -hmm. um, those were two, one article and one book that I think were early on very influential for me. I discovered Fair Play before its name changed to Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood. As a parent, it was clear to me that I didn't want marketers to be the influencers on my children. The idea that there was a well-established organization addressing this before kids had access to apps and smartphones was very reassuring. What particularly led me to Fair Play, though, was the education, research, and advocacy on how screens or to put it more succinctly, how digital media was being utilized as the conduit for heavily marketing to children. And I'll chime in here um, that I learned about the Screen Time Action Network actually through a very desperate Google search just a few months ago <laughs> in the springtime. And that was when my group, the TechWise SB group, we were searching for resources to use to advocate for change within our school district. And, you know, there just are very few resources out there that seem legitimate and seem, you know, deep. And this research-based concept of what you offer through the Screen Time Action Network is just amazing. And then additionally, when I stumbled upon the network and I clicked a few links, I ended up joining one of the work groups, the Screens in Schools work group. And that is my feeling is that my involvement and the ways I've benefited from the work group is exactly how all of you intended it to be because it truly is like the organization the nonprofit has its own resources but then when you connect to other people all of a sudden I'm not the only person advocating within a school district or within a profession um, and then to be able to individually contact people and I've emailed both of you before and to get responses back and advice and additional tools it's just been amazing so I am so grateful for you two and for the Screen Time Action Network it's been amazing yes thank you so much Melissa I'm just really grateful to hear you say that because um, I would say the work groups are the heart of the Action Network, mm -hmm. I like to say, and I appreciate mm -hmm. that you um, found our research-based approach to be helpful mm -hmm. because we know that's what you need uh, to be able to go out there and advocate. Mm -hmm. 
but we also called it the Action Network because we didn't want to sit around and talk about the research. Mm -hmm. There's enough of that going on. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of rhetoric about children's screen time. We wanted mm -hmm. to spearhead efforts and to be able to mm -hmm. amplify your voices and local efforts are so important and they can be always scaled up, but for people to have the courage mm -hmm. that they find in the groups and in the resources to be able to make those local starts is so important. Tell us oh, and it's why we hired Lauren. We were able to hire Lauren uh, because mm -hmm. we realized that the work groups were such an important piece of our work. Yeah, and I, I also wanted to just thank you for that. It's so rewarding to hear that we are having that effect yes. um, on you and providing opportunities to connect and learn. And I'll say that actually I, I felt the same way too. I was part of the Screens and Schools group before I got the amazing opportunity to come work for mm -hmm. the Screen Time Action Network and Fair Play. And I absolutely felt what Jean was saying about I had felt so mm -hmm. isolated and it was mm -hmm. so refreshing and nourishing and encouraging to be around like-minded people who saw what I saw and were intent on doing something about it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Tell us yep. more about your roles. Lauren, you have a lot to keep up with as the work group coordinator. I'm in a couple of the work groups. Do you want to tell us about those? Sure. Um, yeah, and actually recently I, I just changed my title to the Action Network Project Manager, mm. which is a little bit ah. of, of mm -hmm. what will be transitioning my role into. Um, so we have seven work groups at the Action Network. Um, as Jean mentioned, they are the heart of the network, and I feel so lucky to get to work with all of them and get to see the what they're doing from different angles addressing screen time. So the groups are the Screens in School group, which we've mentioned, our cyberbullying and online safety work group, which has done really fantastic advocacy work recently with some bills that Fair Play and the Action Network are very excited about. Um, there's the Interfaith work group, the Nature and Play work group, the Early Childhood work group, the Parent Support work group, and the mental health work group, which we're currently revamping. Um, mental health is so important. And so each of these groups, as we know, screen time is a multifaceted issue. Mm -hmm. So each group has these different areas of screen time that they work to address. And it, as my role in the coordinator, um, so far I have just been providing support in whatever way they need. There's, as you all know, there's a lot of work to be done. And how, for any of our listeners that are unfamiliar with the work groups or the Screen Time Action Network, um, Lauren, how can a listener get involved or how can they find a work group online? Great question, Melissa. Thank you for asking that. If they go to our website, which is screentimenetwork.org, you can go right over to the Get Involved tab. And the second option is Join a Work Group. So once you click there, it will have a list of all of the seven work groups I just mentioned. And there is an application form for each work group that um, listeners would, are welcome please go peruse it. And if it resonates with you, send us an application. Thank you so much. Um, and I'll give one more plug for those work groups because I've felt like uh, the advocacy efforts at the local level, it, it can be really exhausting and it personally is quite time consuming. And so our particular group, the TechWise SB group, we are, you know, we're we work full time, we're parents, we, we have very busy lives. So to add, something on top of our already busy life is a lot. And so the advocacy piece and the trying to make a change happen has been um, exhilarating and exhausting at the same time. And so being able to connect with the work group at a, you know, what, not a global level, but maybe a more national level or a bigger picture level has been a really nice balance of you know, you're you're working with your own people at the local level, and it's time-consuming and a little stressful, 
but then you kind of, you know, I get to break away and I get to listen to what other people are doing and I kind of get replenished because I'm hearing about other people's stories. And so I, you know, if anyone's listening, I, I really do encourage those work groups. It's been, I would say life changing for me in this advocacy piece. Wow, thanks so much for that. Mm -hmm. That makes us so happy to hear. Yes, you're welcome. Well, thank you again. And moving a little bit on, would you, uh, let's see, Jean, could you share with us a little bit about what sort of evolution the Screen Time Action Network has seen in digital device use since it first began or since Fair Play first began? Um, and also any kind of change you've seen in the work you're doing or the work of other people? Sure, thanks for the question, Melissa. I think, um, you know, when I started in this work, I remember um, I was trying to do some of my graduate research on how the devices that kids had at home were impacting their schoolwork. So that might be a computer at home, it might have been mm -hmm. just TV, they might have had an iPad at home at that point, but there was no, there were no devices in schools. And I remember interviewing, I was in a school, interviewing some teachers because one of the issues that they would say was kids would come in and they were so obsessed with their video games. Mm -hmm. That's what they'd be talking about before mm -hmm. class. And that's what mm -hmm. they'd be talking about at lunch and their whole conversation, mm -hmm. their imaginative play at recess would be mm -hmm. centered around the video game characters or mm -hmm. even the TV characters that they would, this, in other words, the script was written for them. They mm -hmm. were not creating of their own, you know, mm -hmm. natural ability mm -hmm. and imaginations. Um, and then I was, I, but I remember sitting in a lunchroom with teachers and some parents and they're saying to me, oh, what are you talking about? We're getting iPads for each kid. We're, we're getting a one-to-one -one program next month. Mm -hmm. And this and this school already has it. And mm -hmm. it was just emerging that mm -hmm. it, it blew my research out of the water because then kids had devices in school. Then they were allowed mm -hmm. to bring their smartphones to school. So not only did they have mm -hmm. a school device, but they had a mobile device from home. Mm -hmm. It it really was a monumental shift from a family-controlled environment with mm -hmm. screens to an uncontrolled <laughs> environment mm -hmm. with screens. And, um, mm -hmm. and that, was, that was a big, big shift. And of course, what we're seeing now is that the mobile devices are like an appendage mm -hmm. for young people. They will not right. be it. They have the FOMO, they have Right. Um, many of those issues with it. And um, and the school's issue, as you know, being in um, school advocacy right. itself uh, is so big that, you know, the next thing I want to do is hire somebody who's just focused on schools. It's mm -hmm. a, yeah. And yeah, just thank you. Number of our education by corporate mm -hmm. entities um, mm -hmm. is extremely disturbing and on our radar all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah it, it's interesting right now how that blend like you're saying of screen time and digital time I mean it's it's everywhere and anywhere there's there's no separation there's no um, clear bound like there's no containment there's no boundary it just um, it all kind of goes into each other and so the online conversations and chats from home are happening at school and the text messaging at home is also the same conversation as continuing at schools and it's just this um, sort of overwhelming experience right now and there's no separation for parents or teachers or kids it's just all one screen time issue sometimes is how it feels yes it is and it, one thing we have to remember is that the manipulation in children's apps is also happening in the school apps so when we talk about the benefits of reducing all that screen time, we're also talking about giving kids back their childhood, not taking the manipulation out of the game. I've been fortunate to be a parent facilitator in your Parents Connect project. 
as a digital wellness coach, I liked using the appreciative inquiry and motivational interviewing to create a really comfortable dialogue between parents. It is important for us all to feel heard and appreciated for our strengths, especially when we are trying to do our best in managing our digital media consumption and our children's. I believe you can elaborate here on how those tackling concerns with digital media can best approach conversations with other parents, caregivers, and educators. Do you have any suggestions on how we can tackle those concerns? Sure, I'll jump in. I want, want to um, let Lauren jump in here too, because the Parent Connect program is so important mm -hmm. and something we want to hopefully keep available to parents as we go forward. Um, so it's, I think it's really important to have parents talking with each other about their mm -hmm. solutions and we're not, we're not dictating what they should be doing. We're offering suggestions, we're offering resources, we're offering tips and um, mm -hmm. to understand that, as I said, they don't have a knowledge base. They don't have the knowledge base that we have. So introducing it, you know, gently and without judgment is so important. Mm -hmm. Reducing the guilt around screen time mm -hmm. and sort of the comparisons that parents do mm -hmm. um, with setting their own limits and then judging others for not setting them or vice versa. Um, can be really stressful in parenting issues. We want to take all that out of it and just say we're all becoming more aware. And as we learn more about the benefits to our children, um, then we will be able to implement these things more easily. Yeah, um, I agree with everything Jean said there. And um, I would add that many parents do have a sense that a lot of screen time is not great for their children and it is a bit of a slippery slope um, so some parents start and it gets a little out of control i think that a lot of parents can relate to that mm -hmm. and so there is that that guilt for a lot of parents so i feel that trying to disarm that guilt is mm -hmm. helpful and one way i found that that can be achieved is through pointing out how big tech is employing armies of developers and psychologists to make it habit forming for children. So it's not that the parents of some individual failing is that they're against the system and this well-funded machine that mm -hmm. is designed to get their children into these very sticky habits. And secondly, um, framing, as, as Jean started alluding to, the benefits of minimizing or reducing screen time instead of necessarily framing it as the harms of mm -hmm. giving a lot of screen time. Mm -hmm. So that it's more of a positive framing on what they could be doing for their children mm -hmm. instead of framing it in a way as you're hurting your children, which leads to defensiveness and self-judgment. Um, so those are two two ways. And and if you're another parent talking to a parent, I think just acknowledging that you have struggles too mm -hmm. can always be helpful. I really appreciate what you both said about the idea of framing it more positively, because I think, and, and focusing on the benefits of less screen time, because that seems to be the message we've had some success with in our local advocacy um, and the pediatricians and the doctors who have supported our group have emphasized that less is more. I mean, there's regardless of what the American Academy of Pediatrics says with a number of screen time per day, uh, the doctors are saying less is more. There's only 24 hours in a day. So however many hours a child is on a screen, that's an amount of time they're not doing something else. They're possibly not sleeping or eating or exercising. And those are the three kind of vital parts to life. And the other thing they're probably not doing or they're losing out on is that connection that you know looking someone in the eye and that conversing in person and 
And so I do really appreciate what you guys are saying is just redirecting the conversation and emphasizing the positive um, because that's also what big tech is doing. They're trying to get our attention and there's only so much attention they can get from us. So if parents are motivated to jump on board and support their kids giving less attention to a screen, then the benefits are gonna naturally happen is the hope, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah. and I would just add a few more, like you mentioned some really important ones, sleep being a huge one. And some of the other benefits of minimizing screen time are increased creativity. Um, you sort of alluded to it, less attention issues. I think mm -hmm. a lot of us, even in ourselves, identify how excessive screen time corrodes our attention. It's even more true for children. And um, as you said, you know, connection or interpersonal skills. And I, I would just quickly add to that that a lot of how big tech has been successful, I think, is by seeding this myth that if children aren't on screens, they'll fall behind. But if you look for what industry leaders are saying they want in employees these days, problem solving, which relates to creativity, you know, creative problem solving, coming up with your own solutions, interpersonal skills, and certainly the ability to pay attention, they're right up there at the top of the list. So um, combating that myth that big tech pushes and showing the benefits of uh, reduced screen time, um, I think can be an effective way to reach parents who want the best for their children and their future. Yeah, thank you. And on the topic of the commercialization piece, you both have mentioned it or alluded to it today, um, and also the harms that can come across children. Is there anything you want to mention about how commercialization in children has evolved or any um, protections that have changed or anything that parents should be informed about this? Um, anything you want to mention on that topic today? Sure. Um, this issue has been in flux since TV came out in the 50s and the 60s. We got some great protections from ch for children. They were unfortunately taken away by Ronald Reagan mostly in the 80s. Some of them were given back in the 90s. These are things like that the host of a show can't be promoting a product to children because they have trouble differentiating uh, when someone is trying to sell to them versus just mm -hmm. the content that they're they're meant to consume and product placement was limited in the in the first rounds of protections for children so it it got weaker uh again in the 80s and then a little bit better in the 90s but it still was was fairly weak and enforcement wasn't great but what really is relevant to parents is that since the internet became the force that it is today most of these protections don't apply at all. So you have these so-called influencers and kidfluencers that really merge products and are paid by corporations to, you know, play with their toys or and there are these unboxing videos. So the YouTube and the internet have kind of become the wild, wild west. And that is um, it's a big challenge and it's unfortunate and it's something parents should be aware of. Yeah, are there any direct experiences you've learned about that you feel maybe parents or our listeners might not be aware of or don't even realize is happening or, or what might surprise people in this area? Uh, you know what, Melissa, I like to liken this whole um, I like to use a metaphor for this whole issue of the internet being the wild, wild west and the age gating, that there, there is no, when, when a child goes on the internet, yes, we'd like them to go to a child site, but there is no protection right now that says they can only go to a child site. So I'd like to use this analogy. When a child learns to read, the books that they can read, that they're able to read, are like Sea Spot Run, mm -hmm. or The Little Engine That Could, or Good Night Moon. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the 
books are the content of the books are geared to the reading level of the child when a mm -hmm. child goes out onto the internet because it's basically their eyes and ears can see and hear everything, mm -hmm. including um, violence, including you know horrid, horrid things that we see on the internet with regards to um, suicide and bullying. These things, mm -hmm. um, there's there's no filter there where the books have the mm -hmm. built-in filter for the um, ability. So um, recently, we do have some protections coming back. In fact, mm -hmm. yesterday we had some success with two bills, two national bills in the US, the Kids Online Safety Act and the Kids Online Privacy and Protection Act. Um, and in general, these bills are there to be able to ensure that millions of children under the age of 13 aren't on platforms they're not supposed to be on. Um, give privacy protections for the first time to teens because it's been um, 13 and under for some of the privacy protections before now. Require platforms to design in the best interests of children, which has not been the case. And, um, and not to design in a way that's manipulative and persuasive. And then to hold them accountable for these items to to change items mm -hmm. like autoplay so that parents aren't fighting with kids to turn it off so that mm -hmm. there is an end to and there's a beginning and an end to their mm -hmm. online and um, also require them to make it easier for independent researchers to access their platforms and so that we can continue to understand how kids interact with the internet and what these algorithms are actually doing. Yeah, thank you so much. That is exactly what we need too. We need a little bit of effort and change happening, not just at the local level and, and what each of us as individuals are doing, but the fact that there's some legislative action, uh, I feel like that will have a trickle effect, hopefully, into more entities and more areas than we can imagine, hopefully in a really good way. I know Action Network has hero awards. Are there any individuals, legislators, principals, or superintendents we should mention today that are leading the way to prevent the commercialization and digital media over digital media overuse? Actually, our two most recent recipients are the authors of the Kids Online Safety Act that Jean just mentioned, which is Senator Blumenthal and Senator Blackburn. Um, so we're proud to be able to recognize them in that way. And the Action Award actually made it into Senator Blackburn's newsletter to her constituents, which was fun to see. And two others we hope to recognize in the future on that front is Buffy Wicks mm -hmm. and Representative Cunningham. They're both in California and they have put forward um, both a duty of care for social media companies bill and also the the California de design code bill. Well, others that I'll mention is we, as we're talking about, you know, activism happening on a local level and making a big impact. We have two school principals, Lucas Cook, who's the principal of Hardy Middle School in Washington, D.C., and then John Bartell, the principal of Indian Woods Middle School in Overland Park, Kansas, where Gretchen <laughs> is. Um, it's, we, you know, we instituted the Action Hero Award because we see negative news about children's screen time mm -hmm. every day. And we wanted to acknowledge those out there who are taking a risk and trying mm -hmm. something. And, um, and seeing what works in a positive way. And so in those cases, you know, they were given these awards because they've decided to change something about the environment in their school around mm -hmm. children and screens. And then another interesting one that I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about commercialism today, that we gave a um, Action Hero Award to Mark Constantine, who's the CEO of Lush Cosmetics in the UK, um, for taking his business, his company, off of social media. 
just isn't that amazing i mean knowing Mm -hmm. that kids go on social media and then they stay there and that the algorithm is if they go on looking at makeup that algorithm may take them down a road of um, self-harm it may take them down a road of eating disorders Mm -hmm. Um, that what you're putting on there isn't just an advertisement for your business. So they're totally off social media and they're doing well. Congratulations. What do you have to say about schools, especially administrators that are using social media as a platform to communicate? I mean, is there anything we can advocate for to change that as well? Because that's just leading students possibly down a rabbit hole as well. Absolutely, Melissa. I mean, we really want schools to understand that maybe it's convenient for them and they think that's where kids are. But if they move to a platform that is not on the internet, that is secure to their school, the kids will go there. That when they bring, when you bring kids online to check out the soccer photos, they're not mm-hmm. staying there. Just to understand, they are not staying there. <laughs> That's an Correct. gateway. That's an intro for them to be able to go other places. And and you know, we don't know how that works. We do know that it can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Think, yeah. And our our screens and schools work group worked on a project, writing a letter, and we got. Um, 20 organizations and around 30 experts to sign on to the Department of Education um, as the Secretary of the Department of Education asking them to issue guidance against this practice by schools because it, it really does as we've talked about as Jean just mentioned they, the kids it's it's a habit forming these platforms are meant to be habit forming so if they come on for school events then they click over to something else and then they go down a scrolling rabbit hole. And so we do feel that this is this is a very important issue and we hope that more schools are waking up to it and we hope that we see more national leadership on this issue. And if any parents out there are interested in in having the letter that as a template that they could send to their principals, for example, um, they could email us and we'd be happy to to help them with that. Um, have you personally changed some tech habits as you've learned more in your work? <laughs> I definitely have. I'll be really interested in what others say about this. So I embraced screen-free Sundays a long time ago when we, we had a podcast with Tiffany Schlein. I mean, a webinar, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, with Tiffany Schlein who has written the book 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week. And for her, she um, her family unplugs on Saturdays. That's their Shabbat. Um, but our Sabbath is on Sundays in my family. And mm-hmm. so I don't look at my phone all day Sunday. I don't do anything on my computer on Sunday. And it's such a relief. I mean, I can do my gardening. I can do other mm-hmm. things, clean out a closet, do things in the physical world that I want to do, gather with friends and family is really important, Mm -hmm. cook. Um, And that's really been a joy for me. It hasn't been easy. You have to kind of get your family on board before you Mm -hmm. start doing that because people Mm -hmm. are trying to get a hold of you and are bugged by it. Um, But you Mm -hmm. also kind of have to have a spine with it too. So that's one of my favorite things. And also nine o'clock at night, I actually turn my phone off. I think I'm one of the only people, you can also put it on airplane mode, um, mm-hmm. but I don't look at it after nine o'clock at night and um, also find that same relief with it. And how about you, Lauren? Well, I aspire to take a uh, screen time Sabbath, uh, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> I do a while back, maybe seven years ago, I took all social media off my phone so as not to have that distracting me. I, I do put my phone in airplane night, uh, in airplane mode every night before I go to bed and a bit before I go to bed, but not quite nine o'clock. That's impressive, Jane. And <laughs> I've uh, taken more to intentionally leaving my phone behind sometimes. Yes. I, if I go for a run, I need it for music, but if I go for a walk, I leave it at home. And sometimes now when I go to the beach, I leave it at home. Mm -hmm. So I, that's, those are sort of the, 
the ways I have tried to reduce screen time, I guess successfully mm -hmm. reduce screen time, but I love, I love the Sabbath idea. I think that's so powerful and I hope that mm -hmm. I'm able to get there. Yeah, we and our family, uh, we instigated, there's still a little buy-in or reminders needed, but we instigated a cell-free room um, because that was just an area where it felt like it like a hiding place for using your phone um, so we have we have successfully started that although every now and then I remind my husband about the rule and then I you know kind of tease him and say do I need to put a, a sign on the door or just, just as a reminder or can we agree that we're gonna remember this um, but that's actually been really great because it forces us to be, again, what you said earlier, Jean, was kind of narrating what we're doing on our phone. So if we're around our kids, it's forced us to be in front of everyone. And if we're on our phone or our computer, it's forced us to say, I'm just doing X, Y, or Z. And when I'm done, I'll put it down. And that's been a really nice change for us. Great. You know, it's um, great to hear you talk about your husband and that little like nudge that they sometimes need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think sometimes the spouses come to us and they say, what if my husband or my wife doesn't agree with my position on this? And I think the best thing is for them to see you try it yourself. So don't, rather than forcing them to do it, it was mm -hmm. my husband took a while to come around to the Sundays issue and to, to Screen Free Sundays. But the best thing to get him on board was seeing how peaceful and happy I am that day. Mm -hmm. And then he'd want some of that and then he'd do it himself. Mm -hmm. And that translates to the kids as well, I'm sure. Yeah, when they absolutely. could see the adults doing it and it's working, then it's a little more influential for a younger child or a teenager to buy into it as well. Yes, yes. I think that is completely true. And I also just wanted to add, because I remember Jean said earlier, she put a sign on her TV way back mm -hmm. when for Screen Free Week, and you were joking about a sign, but we're working on an early childhood action kit. And one of the things that we will be including in that, we're gonna do our full launch of it this fall, is a few printouts of signs. Mm -hmm. that say cell-free zone or and phone-free mm -hmm. zone just um, because sometimes those reminders are helpful. Mm -hmm. And they are. Yeah. They are. So having it ready to go and print out so you don't have to make it can be helpful too. So if anyone's interested, keep your eyes peeled for that coming out this fall. We will. And one last question for you today. Um, where on this whole topic of screen time and digital media, um, is there one area where you think the most change can happen? Would it be the school level or the individual level or a parent level or a doctor level? Um, or I can phrase it as, how could we as a culture or a community make a bigger dent on this big issue? I really think it's important for pediatricians to be able to include this in well child visits. Yes. It's so important. It's given a cursory check now in well child visits. It's kind of the last thing and it might be asked really quickly, but I think that it should be one of the first things. It should be along with nutrition. It should be along with cleanliness and care uh, because it's so important to start early and the earlier you start being aware of this issue and parents listen to pediatricians that's one of the places mm -hmm. that they they really respect i think that is really a the starting point because like you said um parents are more likely to listen to their pediatrician and um but you know it's it's hard for those pediatricians to address it if they don't have the information and the and the guidelines themselves and that's that's where you're trying to support that you know definitely and i i think jean was i think that's an excellent answer and i noticed when i've talked to parents that a pediatrician might say limit it to one hour or two hours but they don't say why so I feel like actually getting into why and the effects is so important because it's the free on-demand babysitter, right? It's so tempting. 
So I think parents really need more information on that front. Um, I completely agree with that answer. I also believe that where I maybe see the, the greatest potential for change is on parents, which we sort of talked about a little bit earlier, connecting with each other and specifically at the school level. So I mm. see it at the school, but more with the parents from what I've heard, I don't really think the change is gonna come from administrations. Mm -hmm. So I believe that parents um, finding ways to connect with each other at their children's school is incredibly powerful because something that I have heard from many parents is how it just feels impossible to change the entire American culture. And that's mm -hmm. hard to disagree with if you're an individual. I think it's mm -hmm. much more achievable to change the culture at your school. And I think mm -hmm. your children are by far the most influenced by their in real life peers. So mm -hmm. if you're able to change the culture at, at your school, then you're kind of 80% of the way there. And I think that starts with like-minded parents in a school, finding each other and supporting each other, like what you're doing, Melissa, you're an amazing mm -hmm. example. And like what you did, Gretchen, at your school, I, I think that that is really impactful and powerful um, and needed mode of change. Do you guys have a final tidy tech takeaway to leave us with? I have a tidy tech tip. Um, so one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite tips is called bridging. And I love it when families try this. It's that when we think about what our kids are doing online, that it be something that takes them offline to do it mm -hmm. offline. So some of the things just during the pandemic, kids learned how to cook and then they went offline and did it. And they were, we had kids cooking their family's dinner, <laughs> you know, older kids. And then, um, you know, some teaching your dog how to roll over. So uh, often it's like a learning thing that then you can do offline rather than being, you know, on Minecraft or on something that's gonna keep you on there extensively. That's a great tip. Great. And I also wanted to say thank you both so much for having us and for all that you do in this in this work as well. You are boots on the ground and you do amazing work and it's been a delight to be here. Um, and my final tip would be, uh, sometimes it feels really difficult to stick to strict limits on tech. And another way to sort of flip that around is if, if you're struggling with it, to worry less about holding yourself to strict limits and think more about carving out an hour or a time every day, or if you can only manage it on the weekends, one works for you, that's screen-free. I think that that can, be, can feel a lot more doable to carve out a little bit of screen time versus keep to very strict limits. Well, thank you both. I just want to thank you, you so also for having us and to remind everybody that we'd love to have you join the Screen Time Action Network. We're at screentimenetwork.org. Our resources are all free. And um, the more of us working together, the better we can tackle these issues and help families. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Gretchen and Melissa. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, Jean and Lauren. Goodbye. Bye. Put down the phone and lift up your eyes. Open your heart, let conversations arise. Show them that you care, keep screen time in check. Every moment matters, live your life with tidy tech.